All right, before we get started here, last week I extended a challenge to you right at the end of the sermon. It was a little bit ad-lib. It wasn't actually on the page, but I tried to do it, so I want to remind you of it. Last week we talked a little bit about being more thankful, and I kind of extended this every time you say thank you for this next week, try and think of something else you're thankful for. So you could either say it, so I thank you for this coffee and the wonderful way you served it to me. I thank you for this coffee and the $25 that I have to buy this little cup of coffee. I, but but some, other, some other thank you besides just the one you're actually saying in order to try and prepare our hearts and have a more thankful attitude in our, uh, in our lives, and especially during this season. Uh, in my head, and I didn't have this cool name then, uh, instead of a thank you, it's a thank to. So you got to remember this week, when you say thank you, what's something else you're thankful for? And you don't have to say it because that gets awkward and then people get weird, but, but just think of something else you're thankful for in order to try and become more thankful during the season. Uh, interestingly, one of my conclusions this week after doing that is I did feel more grateful for things and I recognized I don't say thank you enough. So the, uh, it, was on, it was like the second day, I'm like, I'm doing awesome at this. And then I'm like, I've only said thank you three times. So, so maybe that's the lesson you may need to learn as well. Uh, but with that, that was last week. This week we're doing something different. So if you would join me in prayer as we dig in. Uh, Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us and challenge us, that you would be with us. Lord, as we turn to your scriptures, we ask that you would speak and that you would give us ears and hearts and lives that can hear and be changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A man approached a Little League game, a Little League baseball game one afternoon, and he asked the boy in the dugout what the score was. And the boy responds, 18 to nothing, we're losing. Ooh, said the spectator, that's discouraging. I'm sorry to hear, you must be upset. Why should we be upset? The little boy replied. We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> oh, to have hope like that. Are, you, are we down? Sure. Are we losing? Sure. Are things looking pretty grim? Sure. But are we finished? Are we out? Are we done? Absolutely not. Though it does make me think, where do we find our hope? Where do we even look for hope? Are we people of hope? The story goes that a pastor was being driven from the airport to speak at some event, and during the drive, the host persisted in decrying the disintegration of the culture and the disappearance of Christian values. Cases in point were too numerous to mention, but the host tried to mention all of them anyway. After an overly long drive from the airport, the pastor offered these words, times may be bad, but they are the only times we've got. That said, remember, hope is still a Christian virtue and despair is still a sin. Hope is still a Christian virtue. 
I don't know about you, that, that, that story hits a little too close to home because I think too often I'm that same host. Because sometimes it's just too easy for us to, to complain and despair about all the things that are going wrong instead of being a people of hope. But the question still remains, are we a people of hope? When you hear about the state of things, when we see how bad things happen around us, when we get or take in the news, can we still hang on to hope? And to be clear, it's not the same thing as optimism, and it's not the same thing as naivety, and it's not the same thing as denial, and it's not the same thing as wishing, because somehow hope is able to see the darkness of the world and yet still rest in the reality of the coming dawn. Somehow hope looks straight at the darkness and keeps going because it believes that the dawn is coming. I don't know about you, but even that word hope somehow just has lost something these days. It, it, it doesn't seem like a reality very much. It's not a word I would use to describe myself. Viktor Frankl comes to a similar conclusion about the world and the need for hope. After surviving the concentration camps of World War II, Frankl noticed that a lot of those who persevered somehow held on to a strong and stolid hope of the future. And conversely, when a fellow prisoner lost all hope, the end came very quickly. But it's why Frankel writes of a night when he tried to point the people toward hope. He writes, I asked the, the poor creatures who listened to me attentively in the darkness of the hut to face up to the seriousness of our position. They must not lose hope but should keep their courage in the certainty that the hopelessness of our struggle did not detract from its dignity and its meaning. He pointed them toward the darkness and then called them toward hope. Coming all the way back to us, how do we hold on to hope? How do we do it better? Obviously, our, our situation isn't so grim, but, but sometimes we, too, lose hope or at least have trouble finding it or remembering it. I wonder if we could do better. While we think about that, let me back up for a minute and remind you where we are and where we're going. In this new series, as we move through Advent toward Christmas, we're focusing in on a little line in the Christmas story that maybe we can relate to a little too much, especially in this season of busyness and stress and overwhelm. In Luke chapter 2, it says, we are told, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. And I wonder... Is there any room for Jesus in our lives anymore? Particularly as we prepare for Christmas. 
Because, of course, the reality is that there's often less room for Jesus during this season than in any other, which is ironic since this season is supposed to be all about Him. But therefore, during this Advent, we're going to try and carve out some room for Jesus. As the song says, let every heart prepare Him room. Because, of course, we know you actually have to prepare room. You have to make space because otherwise our hearts simply get filled with everything else we have to do. And this is something we all know. Room in our lives is never discovered, it's, it's reserved. Margin doesn't just materialize, it's made. Time isn't found, it's prioritized. But therefore, we recognize that there will be no room for Jesus in this Advent and Christmas seasons unless we prepare Him room. And so, let's turn back to the Advent story and see if we can figure out how we might make more room and maybe how we might prepare our hearts with hope. And so, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through Him all might believe. He Himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of His fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. 
Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Amen. Okay, as we look back at our passage, I want to back up for a moment and put some of this back in context, because this will help us not only understand the passage, but may also help us to find hope in it and in our lives. As the New Testament picks up and the four Gospels get started, things have not been going the right way for the people of God. They are scattered, they are powerless, they are hurting. Plus, the the Romans are in power, the Greeks have dictated the culture, there are pantheons of capricious and captivating gods that define religion, not to mention the merchants and the markets and the crowds and the cities and the bread and circuses. To make this situation even a little more dire, we haven't heard much from God since the prophet Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, but that was 400 years ago. And so God has seemed to be absent now for a long time. So now put yourselves in the shoes of God's people. Where do you put your hope? Where do you place your bets? Whose side should you be on? And and let's recognize there are some seemingly safe bets here. I mean, the Romans sure don't look like they're going anywhere. The culture doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. And, well, nothing around us seems like it's going to be changing. So if you have to pick, the sure money sure doesn't seem to be found in the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And yet all of those things that seemed so strong didn't last all that much longer. But in the face of that kind of strength, of that kind of darkness, I mean, you can go either way. How do you find any hope? When you're looking at Rome, when you're looking at the Greeks, when you're looking at all of this culture, where do you find hope? How do you find hope in your faith? And that is when John tells us that there's a light shining in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. It's when John tells us that there was a a true light that gives light to everyone. It's when John tells us that the Word, which was in the beginning and was God and was with God, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. It's when John tells us that God is on the move again, and we'll hear from John the Baptist, but we'll see it in Jesus life. Because, of course, the darkness doesn't win. Discouragement doesn't win. Despair doesn't win. Because God is doing a new thing, and it changes everything. You can feel the hunger and excitement in this passage for the one who is to come. But we'll get there. 
First, we need to go back and understand that darkness, and then maybe even that despair a little bit before we look toward hope, in this, even in this Advent season. But alas, we have to start with darkness. And, and we don't need to go into this too much because we all know this darkness, the darkness in our world, the darkness in some of our relationships, even the darkness in our own lives. You watch the news, you hear what's happening, you see someone hurting, not to mention the struggles that, that you and your friends and your families are carrying. And it's too easy to feel the darkness instead of finding hope. And part of what makes this even harder is that too often we believe that the darkness is stronger than the light. And that only gets worse when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're stressed and busy, when we're uncertain and afraid, when we start looking more at ourselves, when our vision becomes myopic, when we look to the short term. Because especially in those times, it's harder to remember, let alone look toward our hope. And therefore, instead, we, we bury our head in the sands, or we numb ourselves, or we get angry and agitated and afraid. Frankly, I think maybe we often also confuse hope with other things, which might be part of the reason why we have so much trouble finding it. Because notice, hope isn't blind faith. Hope isn't wishful thinking. Hope isn't naive optimism. Hope isn't ignoring the darkness, avoiding the darkness, downplaying the darkness. But somehow instead, hope sees the problem, recognizes that at times things are not good, and then recognizes that there's something bigger than the darkness, stronger than the darkness. I love in the passage... There was a light, there was darkness, and there was a light, and the darkness didn't overcome it. The darkness doesn't win. Hope is the belief that the light is not just brighter than the dark, but it's bigger than the dark, and it's better than the darkness. It's why during Advent we often read this old passage from Isaiah, but there's something that rings true. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Because Advent is a time for hope. But this isn't the only way and place we need hope, because sometimes the problem isn't just the darkness, it's our own despair. It's when we, we put our hope in the wrong things and then they let us down. Because sometimes we lose our hope because we've been rooting for the wrong team or we've bet on the wrong side or we've placed our hope in the wrong source. When I ask the question, where do you find your hope? What do you put your hope in? You may find several different answers and some are better than others. The sports analogy makes it obvious here. I, I put my hope in, in the Cowboys. I put my hope in the U.S. soccer team. I put my hope in this team or that team or the other team. And then when that team lets me down, it, it hurts because I've put my hope there. 
Now, obviously, in our actual lives, we put a much grand, we kind of are doing this on a much grander scale, but think about some of the places you put your hope to solve the various problems of the world. And notice, a lot of these aren't bad answers, they're just insufficient answers. I put my hope in a lot of things. Relationships can solve problems. Medicine can solve some problems. Governments can solve some problems. Money can solve some problems. Culture can solve some problems. People can solve some problems. And yet, even as I read that list, you could see some problems being solved and other problems being created. And notice, when our hope lets us down, we feel discouraged, we feel disappointed, we feel disillusioned, we become frustrated, and it's too easy for us to despair, which is also why a lot of us put too much hope simply in ourselves, because if I can't trust them to do it, I'm going to have to just do it myself. I can muscle this out. I can decide this to be so. I, through sheer force of will, can cause this to be. I can rely on my health, my ability, my resources, my strength, my ingenuity. And it works for a while until it doesn't. Even the language of hope is interesting. We say things like, I put my hope in this as if our hope has a, a substance and a weight to it, and we store it in different places, hopefully secure places. As if we could put our hope in a, in a safety deposit box or in an account or a person. I put my hope in you. But again, with that, you notice there are better and worse places to put our hope. I can, I can bet on team me, but that seems risky since it doesn't take much to take a person down. I can bet on team us, which is better, that's more stable, more secure, that's stronger, but still maybe not enough. I can bet on larger groups, larger teams, larger sides, but again, they're more stable, but they still may not be enough. And so we get back to the same question then, where do we find our hope? And it brings us back to our passage, because I believe it is too easy for us to think that the darkness therefore wins. It's too easy to choose lesser things to put our hope in. It's too easy these days to simply lose our hope. But then John points us toward a light that is not overcome by the darkness, a word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us, full of glory, one who is full of grace and truth. You see, the gospel writer knows the darkness, knows the despair, but then still finds hope and points us towards that hope. John the Baptist comes next in the story, and he too has seen the darkness, but points us toward the one who is to come. Again and again in this passage, we are pointed toward a better hope, which is also a part of what we're doing here in Advent. 
as we look toward Christ anew in our lives. We are working to become more aware of not just our need for Jesus, but the hope we find in Him. You see, some, somehow, if we can keep our eyes on Him and remember that he, what He has already done and what He continues to do, then maybe that helps us hold on to hope. I mean, it's one of the ways we understand ho- hope is simply kind of the, the decision to back a side. When you think about hope, you're kind of saying, I, I, I think this side will win, or I think this cause is best, or I think this value is the highest. So if we, therefore, want the, the strongest, the longest lasting, the most good, the best, we're going to have to end up on God's side. And notice, this doesn't mean that there won't be darkness in the short term. It doesn't mean that things will always go our way. It doesn't mean that everything will just work out for us. But it does mean that our side ultimately wins, and quite frankly, has already won. You see, the good news of the gospel is also that God, through Jesus, has conquered death. But therefore, our hope is on the side that has already won. Let's take this one more step, especially as we think about this season that we are in, and as we think about preparing Him room in it. What if we could prepare ourselves with hearts of hope? What if we could become more a people of hope? It's funny, when I think about the characteristics that I would use to describe most Christians, the word hope, hopeful, is strangely absent. But shouldn't it be? Couldn't it be? Couldn't we become a people with more hope? Shouldn't we have more hope? And again, it's not that we, we don't see what's going on, but it's that we also see something deeper that's happening as well. It's that we know who's ultimately telling this story. It's that, we, it's that we've already read the last page of the book, so we know the hero makes it at the end. C.S. Lewis defines hope as a continual looking forward to the eternal world continual looking forward to the eternal world. You see, in some ways, we as Christians should be the most hopeful because we have something to hope in. We can see an eternal world all around us. We can help to bring His kingdom come. We can strive to live like the children of God that we are. Because at the end of the day, of course, our hope is in Him. But therefore, I wonder what it would look like. What would it look like to be a more hopeful people? What would it look like to be a a more hopeful person is probably the better question. Because if I say people, then it's all you people. But if I need to be more hopeful, that changes the equation a little bit. Could we actually believe that the darkness is overcome by the light? 
could we remember that even when things sometimes look grim, that God is still king? Because if we did, if we could, I think we would find hope. And maybe really that's the challenge of this week. As the sermon kind of concludes, maybe that's the... You will at some point this week, for some reason, turn on news. And things may look grim. You may at some point be talking to someone and they are... They're going through it. You may at some point this week have something happen. And there'll be a moment where you have a choice... Does the darkness win or does the light? So maybe the challenge is if we could just simply kind of raise our gaze a little bit this week. As you hear of or see any darkness, could you remember just for a moment, God is still king. God is still sovereign. That doesn't mean this is going to work out well in the short term. That doesn't mean everything's going to just, ha- it's all going to be just perfect. That, that's not how that works. But in the midst of the darkness, could we for a moment just recognize God is still king. God is still in charge. This is still God's story. Even if this chapter looks pretty bad, we know the end of the story because we know the author. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that we are too often not a people of hope. And that's despite all of the hope that you grant us and all of the hope you give us. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts, particularly in this season of Advent, a season that in some ways is all about hope. We pray that you would help us remember you, focus on you, look toward the light even when things are dark, that we would remember that you are still king, and that that would change everything. We thank you that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then that Word made His dwelling among us. In Jesus Christ, we thank you for the miracle of this season. We pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.